Hello and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod Welk. And I'm Annie Kriegbaum. Annie, what are you doing? I am ordering a Fits Everybody Skimpy Scoop bralette in new colorways for fall. What does that mean? It's a skim. (sighs) The devil works hard, but Kim Kardashian works harder. Every week. Are they just releasing new product every week or is it just new content? Sometimes I get an email and I feel like it should be new product, but it's just new content. This week, they, in the most unhinged thing I've ever seen them do, released a Fits Everybody Micro Triangle Bra. It's like Borat level coverage, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's and it's like, photos. it fits everyone. It's just like, might Because it doesn't arrested. fit anyone. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, it's inclusive. It doesn't work for anyone. <laughs> I'm trying to find a photo so I can show you. One second. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, my God. No. It covers the nipple, but then the boob overhang on either side makes it not work underneath any clothes. Yeah. I mean, I also like how it's like fits everyone implies that it's like cozy and comfy. <laughs> and that looks like the least cozy, comfy thing you could put on your body. And then they also have this fits everybody micro thong, which do you see? Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought Skims was shapewear. No, Skims has loungewear, shapewear, underwear. So now it's just like a it's the new Victoria's Secrets. Outerwear. They have a outdoors collection. Oh, speaking of, I guess this is kind of a top story. Freaking um, Spanx sold. <laughs> you sound like you're from like <laughs> Boston. Freaking, freaking Spanx. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't remember the name. Here's my thing about that. I was actually talking to a colleague of mine. You have other colleagues? Hold on, hold on. (laughs) We need to address this. I was talking to a peer of mine in the beauty industry, and we were talking about how the valuation was around $1.2 billion of Spanx in the deal, and that seemed really low to both of us. Well, now there's competition. Like, how is Pinterest worth, like, $38 billion, and Spanx is only worth $1.2? Customer acquisition costs. Let me tell you, <laughs> the customer acquisition cost on a physical product is much higher than a freaking on a, Pinterest. On a, on a like software. You want to be a tech product. You don't want to be a physical product. Not today's day and age. The market's hot, mm-hmm. but you're right. I mean, I think that they probably did lose market share to Skims and to Savage Fenty. Don't get me started on Savage Fenty. Why not? Well, first of all, it's I don't a, want the Rihanna uh, Navy coming after us. So, what are you going to say? I'm just going to state the facts. It's a subscription, and there's no way to cancel. They keep your credit card. There's no link to cancel. It's problematic. I didn't know that. I bought a... um, (laughs) I, on the advice of my friend, bought a uh, mesh fishnet full body suit. Mm -hmm. Never worn it. In fact, I bought two. Because I couldn't decide. <laughs> couldn't decide if I wanted the one where like your boobs hang out on either side of a strap that goes up the middle or the one that is more full coverage, whereas like it's a two inch negative space gap fishnet oh, that just covers okay. your whole body. So what is the proposed occasion? Still haven't found one. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought those, you know, reasonably priced, but then they continued to charge my credit card $50 a month every month since. And I tried to cancel. There's no way to do it. I emailed the customer service. They won't do it. And so then I just had to just like go through my credit card. Do you remember back in the day before direct-to-consumer brands existed? And if you got a gym membership, 
they would make it so difficult to cancel this, it. Like you yes. could not do it via email. You could not you do write it on a the letter. phone. <laughs> you, you had to like, no. The one that I remember, I was, a, I was a member of like the New York Athletic Club or whatever, New York Sports mm-hmm. Club or whatever it was called. And you had to go in person. They were like yep. basically preying on the fact that you would be embarrassed and you just like would keep it because you felt ashamed to like cancel a gym membership. So like you would go in and they'd be like, so can I ask you why you're uh, deciding <laughs> to, to deprioritize your fitness? And you're like, fuck, I don't know. Like, I just like haven't been getting here enough. Like, I want to go to this other gym. They're like, well, we have good workout stuff, too. I think we should, should we do top like, stories. Do top stories. Okay. Yeah. Well, we broke the news on this one. It was a blind item. Mm-hmm. I heard it from a guy that was drunk at while we were getting drinks one night. I won't say what he did on the project, but he told me about Billie Eilish's fragrance. Eilish or Eilish? I thought it was Eilish. Eilish. I don't know. I thought it was like eyelash. Anyway, it's called Eilish or Eilish, the (laughs) fragrance. And apparently she is synesthetic. What's it called? She has synesthesia, which is when you like smell colors or like see scents or things like that. My question is, she's known for being so contrarian, right? Her whole brand is that she's like very contrarian, very underground. I'm just trying to like imagine this like meeting where they all came into the boardroom. They're like, Billy, it's time. We're going to dress you up as Marilyn Monroe. You're going to go to the Met. You're going to get a fragrance. Like we're going to, we're making you into a superstar. You're going to be on the cover of British Vogue. Get Edward on the phone. Like, <laughs> Get to Marchelier. We're thinking tool. We're thinking corsets. <laughs> you are the new American beauty. That we're is doing me. your roots. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because I was just now watching the Billie Eilish documentary, the RJ Cutler one that came out on Apple like a year ago at this point. And it's funny. I mean, number one, it's really, I think, tragic to see someone so young become so famous because you just know that there is no good way out of that. (laughs) Like, you know, to be like that globally, like, I don't, I just don't think that attention is good. I don't think the fact that people will do things for you that they wouldn't normally do like from the age of like 15 or whatever 16 she's been treated not like a normal person and that hinders your development and I know her parents were trying to like keep her very grounded you know her brother was touring with her but in the documentary she gets her license her driver's license and then like goes on a world tour like she's a baby and like she was also so cool and was wearing like baggy clothes and like graffiti you know like all the stuff she wore in the beginning and like why are we dolling her up now and like trying to sell her as like a blonde bombshell I mean, I remember when I went from being into one thing and then into the exact opposite thing when I was her age. But it is weird that it's like at this scale. It's very dramatic. I mean, like it feels like her identity was much more punk, as you said, like counterculture. And now this is all like this is kind of the pop star playbook, right? You launch a fragrance. It's like a gourmand fragrance and it has like hints of vanilla, which like this one does. And then that's what you do. Right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I want to be a fly on the wall during that like board meeting. But excited for her. What it, it's musky, it's amber. Oh, it's in the shape of a bust. Very KKW. I like how they also note this is in Women's Wear Daily that it's vegan and cruelty free. Like, I'm glad that they're not 
like testing the fragrance on animals. Well, I mean, there's a lot of fragrance ingredients that do that have historically come from animals, although now most of it's synthetic, so everybody can calm down. But yes. You know what? You know what? You're right. I stand corrected. I love doing that to you. This is not necessarily a beauty story, but it's more of a public interest story, which is that Facebook is apparently mulling a total rebrand. I think we should throw our hat into the ring. Like, don't you think they should hire us? Oh my we've god, we've done we've done. Who did we do this for last time? We we workshopped someone on this. Yeah, <laughs> oh, last a ton. <laughs> so now it's Facebook. The articles don't really seem to have any clues, but like I was reading something that said that they might call it Face. <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually pretty good. I think face would be pretty good. But to me, it's not. They're not. They're not rebranding Facebook. It's more like when Google became like Alphabet or whatever they are, right? Or like Alphabet. Coach. Isn't that what Google's like parent company is called now? Oh, I don't know. They didn't and do then, a very good job announcing this rebrand. <laughs> and then Coach is like Tapestry Group. I feel like it's more like a corporate thing than it is about like we're not going to be like oh like did you see on Face that like Carrie had a baby. But like the evilness within that organization. Well, I think the the real story here is that Mark Zuckerberg is getting personally named in as a defendant <laughs> against the uh. U.S. government. <laughs> He's being named as a defendant in the Cambridge Analytica like data scandal. So, I mean, Mark might be like in, in some hot water right now. Oh, well, I don't think he's sweating it too much. Another government-related piece of news, the FDA is ending the temporary allowance that permitted companies to produce hand sanitizer. So if we all remember back in the middle, the height of the pandemic, basically like any liquor cut Anheuser-Busch, like it was all hands on deck. Everyone could make hand sanitizer. Literally every brand, like Casper Mattress was like, we're making hand sanitizer now. <laughs> like get on And board. like Estee Lauder was using, like LVMH was like, they, everyone was like making hand sanitizer. And now that the time has come to stop the production of hand sanitizer by companies that were not making it before. The FDA is like, you guys had your fun. You got your little bump in sales. It's done. I... Stopped using hand sanitizer when I stopped washing my vegetables. I never believed in hand sanitizer. I mean, I get it. I think you should use it. But haven't we also decided or like realized that that's not how COVID is spread by like touching something and then going about your day? It's respiratory droplets. You have to take a 360 approach, you know? Yep. At some point, that finger is going near your nostril. So just do whatever you need to do. Hand sanitizer, soap and water. Just get get those microbes off. And, you know, for a lot of reasons, you know, MRSA is a real thing. If you're on the yeah. subway, you don't want to touch your nostril after you're touching that pole and get like a big MRSA infection in your nose. I mean, the people who touch those poles, I I will never understand. You've never held on to the pole on the subway I mean, train? I've, if I'm wearing <laughs> a long sleeve, I've pulled a long sleeve over my hand and held the pole. Are you serious? But, or if I've done it with a bare hand, it has been... Have you ever opened a public door? Yes. You've but touched I don't, things that... Yeah, the but other... like the subway is another level of like bacteria. <laughs> it is a closed underground like 
capsule with no air. I mean, I know you've been gone. You moved away. You gave up on New York, but... What happened since I've been gone? They implemented all these new cleaning measures. Like, the MTA really stepped up during COVID. Every day, they, like, totally, like, hose down those carts. Whatever. I know, but would <laughs> you ever, like... Cars. Would you, wouldn't you ever, like, be on the subway and there'd just be, like, a human shit in one of the seats? I don't care, like, how much, like, surface spray cleaner you're, it, like, putting on that. I still don't want to sit in that seat. It is really insane to think about how we used to pile into cars like sardines. Like, like <laughs> you're full body like pressed against everyone all around you it yeah. is so wild to think about and then i remember one day the craziest thing that happened i don't even know there's probably a lot of stories that would fall in this category but i just remember going to work like really early one morning and i was like so just like stressed about like work and just like another day it's probably like a tuesday morning or something i'm on this train car and I sm- i'm smelling like smoke like a black and mild and I like look over and there's this guy sitting there like smoking across from me <laughs> and instead of thinking like this guy is like mentally ill and maybe it's best to like not approach him I just my immediate reaction was like you can't do that here <laughs> and then I realized oh this guy is unwell you know <laughs> like don't engage <laughs> I was so angry I was so angry he was smoking in a moving closed subway car <laughs> I know that's just why I am always careful but I mean when I was younger and I would ride the subway with my mom I definitely remember licking the pole oh nick and my mom would be like stop and then you would do it just because she said stop not because like she was not like trying to scare me about what was on it anyway subways where were we so here's a sad story for anyone who likes blue eyeshadow for the blue Um, man group for the oh my god the blue man essentially it's done it's over aren't they still filming avatar anyway not to bury the lead (laughs) but blue pigment is feeling you know the, the color the color blue the pigment that makes the color blue is really feeling a supply chain squeeze like many other aspects and ingredients and parts of all industries are feeling there's one dutch paint maker called axo noble this is according to business week that is running out of ingredients to make some of their blue colors of paint and they said quote it's creating complete chaos their chief executive officer, Terry Van Lanker, said. Whew. Would you say Terry's feeling a little blue? Yeah, he's blue over that. They're also having trouble sourcing the tin used to make the metal cans. I ordered a king-size bed about four months ago, and I just got a note from the people who are making it saying that it's going to be another five weeks due to supply chain issues. So supply chain issues are, are serious. And Annie, you intimately know what this means. So explain to the readers what a supply chain issue is. <laughs> no, I feel like you do. Now's, now's my yeah. time. You didn't want to talk about this with Norma. I know. So we get everything from China because that's where it's most affordable. And that's where the stuff is made and made well. And not only are they dealing with issues, there's an electricity shortage, which I think we talked about last week, where right. the Chinese government is limiting the amount of electricity that different factories can use, different businesses can use any given week. So they have to now reprioritize how they use that. They're not operating at full capacity because of that. There are typhoons happening. There's natural disasters happening that are interrupting. There was the global shipping crisis with the boat stuck in the canal that we're still recovering from, which is just insane to think about. And also, as a little side note, the ways that some companies are navigating this is that they're pre-booking like space on boats, like on huge shipping boats, basically reserving seats on a boat for your stuff. 
And of course, like the biggest companies are getting the most space because they buy the most space, you know, historically. And so little companies are screwed. Here's a little tidbit. So you can get product to places across the world two ways, right? By boat or by air. Air is super expensive. It's also like worse for the environment. Neither of these things are great for the environment, by the way. Just let's put that on the table. By air, it's going to cost you way more. I looked into shipping a product that we're making by air. If we would have had to do it, we always try to ship by boat because it's more environmentally friendly. It would have cost, guess how much per unit to ship these things by air? And we're talking 5,000 pieces. I don't know how much. $10 a unit (laughs) just for shipping. These are things that like their margins should be like 80% like that. And (laughs) these things cost like four bucks. It's insane. insane. And then the biggest port in LA that gets most of the stuff that we ship into the US across the board in all industries is was basically at a standstill. They couldn't fully operate. So I don't know if you guys heard, but Joe Biden announced this past week that he is deploying like government resources to keep this port open 24-7 and fully operational 24-7 as we go into the holidays because every business that makes physical things is freaking the fuck out right now. <laughs> and so Joe Biden stepping in being like, I want the millennial small business owner vote. I'm going to like keep this port open and operating at full capacity 24-7 as we get through this crisis. This is why things are going to be late. Things are going to be more expensive. This is all going to trickle down and obviously hit the consumer at the end and the small business owner in the middle. I just think we all need to be okay with not getting Christmas presents on time this year. If you're ordering products online and gifts, just like don't freak out if they don't get there in time. Please and like be and be gentle to the customer service. The customer service, it's not their fault. It's really it not. Could be, it could be me, honestly. I did it for ten months. It necessary. You can be um, mean to Nick. We're, we're, <laughs> that's okay on this podcast. <laughs> Can you explain to me this Huda Beauty neon palette class action lawsuit? That you sent to me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did look into it. So thank you for asking. So she released a neon palette and neon pigments. If you've ever like played around with makeup, I'm sure you have seen on neon pigments, they always say, like, don't put these near your eyes. Just because of whatever the neon is made of. Whatever the pigment is, it's not great to be. And truly, I think it's because it stains but don't quote me on this. It's the same with red pigments. Like that's why you never really saw red pigments in eyeshadow because most of them, the most commonly used ones, stain and therefore are not like eye safe. And so neon, I think, kind of falls into that category. These pigments are just like really weird to work with and they stain like delicate skin. And so she released a neon palette pressed powder pigment, clearly marketed as an eyeshadow. But when you peeled back the label on the back of the palette, um, Ooh, there's a lot of pu 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 going on in this sentence sorry <laughs> <laughs> will you try that one more time sorry that was, that no i'm not gonna try it one more time <laughs> so you peel you peel back <laughs> the sticker and there's all this fine print including the ingredient list and then there's a little like aside or you know a little disclaimer that says not recommended for use on the eyes and of course the average consumer is going to totally miss that especially when this is marketed as a face An makeup eyeshadow palette. palette yeah. yeah, exactly. So people realized that they sued. And now I think people are getting $85 back if they bought the palette and they're part of this class action lawsuit. And I think this was sort of a, a light news week, but we have a good interview, by which I mean a great interview. And let's get to it.
Nick, we're finally fulfilling the promise that we made several episodes ago when we said we are getting a star from Netflix. Yes. Our star from Netflix <laughs> is none other than Karamo Brown, who I and we talk about this in the interview, but who at first I wasn't sure what his role was going to be on the new Queer Eye reboot on Netflix because he has that sort of amorphous role as the not like the charm. What's his like category again? You know, like it's like Anthony has food and JVN culture, culture, culture. He has culture. And what I've noticed over the past few seasons of the show is how important culture has become to the conversations they're having on the show. He actually, and I didn't know this, spent 10 years in social work before he became a host and got back on camera. And so he actually knows what he's doing. He's trained in working with people and working through things. And he also launched a brand called Mantle right before the pandemic in February 2020, which is a skincare brand specifically catering to balding and bald people. And he is a really smart, really nice, really fun guy. So without further ado, here is my interview with Karamo. So Karamo, you have a very busy schedule right now. And so I was very excited that we finally got to connect you're promoting what like is it a book i have two books out but right now i've been on i was in new york and doing stuff because i'm on the new season of netflix's dear white people it's a scripted show based on a college campus about a young woman who has a radio show and she basically challenges the campus to think more about race so it's really funny really great and, and i'm in season four so that's why i was promoting acting in it acting yeah is this is this your first capital A acting gig? It's not, but it's the biggest. So I've done two others. I did this movie. It's a gay Valentine's movie for Hulu and Freeform called Something About Harry, which was cool, but I was only in it for a small role. Then I just did this show with, um, I almost called him Harry Potter. (laughs) Daniel Radcliffe? (laughs) Daniel Radcliffe, yes. I was like, yeah, Daniel Radcliffe, his new show. And so I had like an episode in that, but this is like where I had multiple episodes and was able to kind of show my chops, which is kind of nice. What's your character? Who do you play? I play a college counselor that like they all come to. It's not too far from who I am. I was like, let me get myself into this playing things that are comfortable. Like the character I played with Daniel Radcliffe is a big queen. Have you been taking acting classes on the side to, to I, prepare for these roles? I did. You know, acting for me was something I want to do. But similar to when I started hosting and I was leaving social services, and you probably know the shifting careers and having all of your brands, people have a lot of opinions, not only like your mother, your father, but like friends. <laughs> Everyone thinks they know what's best for you and how you should navigate your own life. And what I realized for me is that sometimes those opinions really do affect me because sometimes it really penetrates me. And then I start having these sort of fear-based thoughts of like, am I making the wrong decisions? Am I doing this right? What was the opinion that most people, the unsolicited well, opinion most people were giving you? Well, I'll tell you when I was leaving social services to go into hosting, they were like, why are you doing that? You have kids. It's a great job. You're using a degree. And then when I got hosting, I became successful. They're like, oh, you're successful now. Why would you want to act? Why would you want to mess it up? And it's always sort of like this fear base of like, why change to something different? Why try yeah. something new? And as you and I both know, as people who have started brands, who have tried different things, that's where the excitement is in life. That's where you learn more about yourself. And so I took acting classes to answer your question secretly, didn't tell anyone. I did ask for help from people I could trust because I do believe in asking for help. And I just said, let me do this properly. I just submitted for auditions quietly, not letting people know. And 
you know, because I said I want to do it properly if I'm going to do it, because I don't want to disrespect any of my friends who are have like studied years. And then I'm like, oh, because I have a little success on Queer Eye, let me take a role from you. So I was like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it properly. And if I earn it, then I can feel proud about it, talking about it. And so that's what But happened. that's also, I feel like the industry, entertainment, show business has changed so much in that even like now hosting gigs are all celebrities. So I know like I had a brief stint where I was, I had like a manager and an agent and I was shopping a TV show idea. And basically what everyone said is like, unless you have a concept that revolves around a bunch of women who have one thing in common, but all hate each other or... <laughs> Like you are a celebrity, like you're not going to be able to get an unscripted show on the air right now. But see, again, that's what I'm talking about. That's that fear-based stuff. And so I'm not sure what happened with your show. It did not get picked up. Yeah. I'm sure it could still get picked up. You know what I mean? But it's one of those things where you just have to kind of work through those. And what I know about this business, and I'm sure you know this, is that sometimes it's not the most talented, it's the most persistent that, Mm -hmm. you know, it makes it. It's like the person who says, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And that's why I always tell people like, please don't give up because it could be right around the corner. Not saying you gave up with your scripted show. You know what I mean? I know I've pitched shows, so I know how it runs that course when you went to every network and they're just like, "Mm." but yeah. They're like, but we're really looking for a black below deck. And I was like, that sounds like a great idea, but I don't have, I don't have that. (laughs) I don't don't have have that that show ready for you. Can we go do that right now? Just a quick (laughs) question. Cause I am black and I like Okay, well, Karamo, do I have a do I have an idea for you? I I get seasick, so I'll have to be some sort of like on land producer. Oh man, type of producer, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, Jews I get seasick as well. Know. Yeah, really? So, so then you can't be on this show either. Um, I didn't say I was gonna be on it. We were just producing together. Oh right, okay, fair. You say Jews in boats, blacks in boats. We we are <laughs> like yeah, no, no. Thank I mean, you. I'll do like a hundred and twenty foot yacht. That's yes. staying still, but that's about that's it. gonna bring the production budget up. But so the acting stuff. I mean, obviously, if you're on. Dear White People, now in its fourth season, it's a big deal show for Netflix and also just has a an important part in Netflix broader strategy is all the nonprofit stuff you do and your brand mantle. Are those things sort of secondary or how do you prioritize all the different projects you have? Acting is definitely thirdly, not even secondary. It's like something that I'm appreciating, but it's not something I want to be pursuing. Hosting and helping people has always been the only mission. And even with my skincare line mantle, as you mentioned briefly, like it was only started because of my own self-esteem issues of me balding and not feeling good enough and drawing on my hairline to kind of feel like I was still young, even though it was gone. And so it got started out of the fact that there was nothing for me. I couldn't find any products out there that were for bald men or people who were balding or on that balding journey. And so I wanted to give them something that could help them and make them feel seen, feel like it's okay, but also help make their skin flawless, honey. So, so okay. Well, I, I want to dig into that. I guess I didn't know that you had spent almost a decade in social services in between unscripted projects. Yeah, so you were yeah. on the real world, you went into social services, and then you eventually landed... Queer Eye, correct? Yep, yep, yep. In the sort of different lanes that all of the hosts on Queer Eye have, culture, like in the first iteration of the show, was always like the most amorphous. Like, what does that mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What does that mean to a makeover to like a person's identity? But I thought it was super interesting that you actually, it's not. Yeah, I went to school for it. It's not something magical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely went to school and was trained for it. And so the problem is that because it's a throwback to that old category, for season one, people didn't understand what I was doing. They didn't understand why people were having cries with me. You (laughs) know, it was like, okay, he's talking. 
talking because it's a visual medium. And so people now understand, oh, he's the one there to get to the core of what's going on. Because what I've learned, and this is no disrespect to my castmates because I think they are phenomenal. I could never be in heels cutting hair for five hours and be funny. I could never build a house. I damn sure go into the store and I'm like, I'm in all black now. You know, it's the most. But for me, what I know is that all those things can't stick unless you understand what caused you to get stuck in the first place. Yeah. And so that's why I'm so proud of what I do on the show. And it just is continuing through everything I do. Like I try to continue that in everything of like, how can we all just be better? Because I mean, my life was a train wreck. I mean, if I ever told you the life story. Whew. Was it a train wreck while you were in social services, like during that period or were you talking about much earlier in your life? All of it. So from childhood. <laughs> still? Up, Is it still? Yeah. Do you no, still it's not a train wreck anymore. I've got it together. But, you know, childhood, identifying as gay and yeah. growing up in a black home, but also my parents are immigrants. And so they're Jamaican and Cuban. So it was a very machismo, very toxic environment, um, not being accepted, then navigating just being a black man walking into the world, trying to like finish school with all the college and all the things. And then finding out I was a father. And I say it was a train wreck even when I was in social service because I have now two kids at 26 overnight and I'm supposed to be having this job where I'm working 70 hours a week, it felt like sometimes. And I'm supposed yeah. to like figure out how to get your parent. So, you know, like, how do I get home now and do homework, cooking, make sure that I'm at all your games. And so I just felt like my life was always out of order. You came into their life when we were talking about this before we started recording. You came into their life at seven and 10. And that's yeah. like they're like not inanimate objects at that point. Yeah, anymore. at that point, they're like, they they're have talking like activities. They're, like, they're talking. Yeah. They're they like, need, what are we they doing? Need parent time. Yeah. And so and for anybody, I identified as gay since I was 15. But my best friend in high school, she and I decided to lose our virginity together. And it lasted for three seconds. And then she moved away. And then 10 years later, I found out that I had a kid. And then I adopted her other son a little bit later. It's like the gay worst case scenario. And I mean that in the most <laughs> loving way, because a lot of some gay men have never you know, had sex with yeah. women. And some gay men have. I have. Thank fucking god that okay, like, when, when in that like uncomfortable three seconds that i did not somehow <laughs> get someone pregnant because that just would have i mean you've handled it with such grace and power is well it's, it's now it is because it all worked out but at the moment it yeah. felt like a train wreck and so that's what i say when i'm relating to these individuals using my skill set on Queer Eye or even like when I talk to people about the brand, it's like, I know what it is to have really low self-esteem. I know what it is to feel lost in your life. I know what it is to want to turn to some things that are dark and negative. You know, I turned to drugs for a little bit and alcohol, you know, just being in the gay boy party scene, you know, yeah. trying to like still capture my youth, even though like this impending adulthood of parenting and everything else was in front of me. And so I understand what it is to overcome these things. It's nice that it's recognized on the show now that people understand like, oh, what culture is. I feel like with every season, your role becomes more and more like there's more clarity around it, but also more oh, yeah. and more important because like the show has had to be more accountable to like it's not just a physical makeover or a physical 100%. transformation because like culture is not there anymore. That that's not what people are seeing is a change. Yeah, well, what has happened now, to be honest with you on the show, is when we talk about the heroes in the beginning, it sort of gets shaped from how I'm going to handle them. So if we're dealing with someone, they're having some trauma with a relationship or a parent or, you know, whatever it is, their identity, that's sort of like me digging is how everyone else guides their conversations. How they wrap their heads around their role in it. Their role in it. Yeah. And so it has gotten stronger. And so, you know, it feels nice. I love the show. Love those, those silly people. 
the show is still is ongoing, correct? Yeah, we just finished season six in Austin. You wrapped it. And when we does it premiere? It, yeah. They haven't told us a date yet. You know, either it's going to be end of this year, early next year, end of 2021, early 2022. I don't know. They never give Netflix doesn't give you the dates. They don't tell you how much people are watching. All they do is they say you get another season because you're successful. But like, you're like, sounds you don't good. know. <laughs> yeah. Sounds you're like, OK, so we don't know. anything. Right. And then you launched Mantle, which you've talked about your skincare and beauty brand essentially for balding or bald men in February 2020. Right before the pandemic. Yeah. Tell me about that. I mean, 20 days for the pandemic. It was, we had been planning for a year and a half of doing the work with the products, doing everything we can, strategy for our marketing. I mean, like we had a whole lot. I was so impressed with like the work that we had did. And then it was like, oh, the world's shutting down. So yeah. you cannot market this. No one is, has going to work. So no one has cash anymore to spend on this. Everyone's trying to deal with this pandemic, their families, their security. And it was the most nerve wracking time. So what did you do? All we did is, is that I talked to the team, my other co-founders, and I said, we need to pivot this to being about supporting people, which is what the brand was established out of. It was established to have really good skincare products, but also to really make sure that we're supporting people's self-esteem journey. Because as you and I know, is that the reason we're buying skincare products is because there's something about our skin that we want to see be better. Most people don't do it for maintenance. That's the, what we're trying to teach people is that to do it for maintenance. But the most of the time when people go into skincare, it's because they're going in the store because they have something on their face, they have something on their head, they have something on their neck that they feel like it can be better. And so for me, it was like, let's shift the conversation. So I just started doing a lot of lives and things and saying, hey, yes, I started a brand, but let's talk about what are you saying to yourself that you don't like about yourself in the morning? What are you doing that is maybe unhealthy that could be coming on your skin? And so I shifted the conversation to self-esteem. And within that, we'll talk about why I started the product line. And we stayed afloat because of that. <laughs> like, yeah. We stayed afloat because people saw that we were authentically caring about them. And so we were able to build people to say, oh, okay, let's try their products. Because I was never pushing the products. I was really like saying... How can I just help? You know, queer eyes not shooting, so how can I do it? How, tra- I mean, I guess traumatic m- may not or may be the right word, but how traumatic was balding and going bald and losing hair to your identity in the various sort of aspects of your identity? It felt like a piece of me was dying, and I'm not trying to be really traumatic right now. Yeah, and that's how most men, most women feel because our society, we put a lot of onus on people's hair and hairstyles. You know, there's a barbershop on every corner for a reason. And so when your identity is wrapped up in that, and then when you're inundated with ads from a child that are like, losing your hair, then, well, you can't go swimming anymore. And no girl is going to want to look at you when you're sitting next to a pool. And, oh my gosh, your kids are going to look make fun of you. And when every character on every show is either the villain if he's bald or he's the comic relief, like Seinfeld, right. like he's never was the guy that walked in the room that was sexy. That's a new concept where we saw with like The Rock and other people. But before that, it was like you had to have a luxurious head of hair. And so when I started losing mine, I was like, well, I'm not going to have the life that I think I deserve. I'm not going to have people be attracted to me anymore. I'm not going to have the success that I want because everyone is telling me that now it's done because I'm losing my hair. And so that's why I said it was very traumatic for me. It felt like part of my life was dying because I was like, I'm done. And it sounds dramatic until you start experiencing it. 
And then what was compounding it was that I was looking in the mirror every single day and I was only echoing the negative messages that came to me. And so I always try to remind people is like, yes, we receive negative messaging from the world around us, but how are you reinforcing it? Are you waking up in the morning and looking in the mirror for hours saying, oh, this is horrible. Are you doing things to reinforce it? And so I first had to stop that language. But it's not easy to therapize yourself. I mean, like I can imagine it's one thing to help coach someone else through something, but I think it's much harder to therapize yourself. It is. Mm. But what I know to be true, and I say this to my kids, is practice is really the key. So what I would do is I would encourage myself to say, if I can say one good thing about me being bald every single day, it was a triumph. And it started with just me in the morning, not stressing over it. So it was like, I'd go in the mirror and I would get out the shower and I would say, okay, don't stress over this. Don't stress. Just go about your day. And I noticed once I said that and I walked away from the mirror, I forgot what was going on top of my head because it wasn't a thing. Then it was sort of like when people make comments or I would see their eyes go up, then I would say, don't stress over that. And so it was about practicing these little small things every single day. And then the third thing was like, okay, don't practice saying something negative about yourself. Yeah. Don't beat people to the bunch. And after like a year and a half, it became easier for me not to say these negative things about being bald, which was so natural and which is so beautiful. One of the things that we did when we were launching the brand is we sort of did these case studies where we talked to like women and men about what's most attractive about their partner and what is deal breakers. And hair was never a deal. <laughs> it was always like honesty, cheating, finances, you know, sex. It was never hair. But we've been sold this message that hair is the all be all to end all for defining your life. And so yeah. that's part of like what I try to kind of remind people and constantly. It's almost them. is that aspects of like CBT therapy where you're like actively and very like proactively saying new thoughts to like yes. create deeper grooves. Someone's been to therapy. Someone, I've been to therapy since that. I was like four years old. So Okay, I, so yeah, yeah, you know, you know. So yeah. But it sounds it like creating those new thought patterns, those new thought pathways is tough going, but it actually, in your case, seems like it was super effective. Yeah, I mean, there's this ongoing joke like with the Fab Five that they always knew where I sat in the car because my hair was on the roof. And it wasn't my hair. It was the fake topics or hair that I drew on. Like I'd hit a bump and it was like, oh, Karamo sat there. And we laughed at it. But in my heart, I was dying. I was so embarrassed. You know, I was like, oh, my gosh. I would like literally go to the car early and try to scrub because I was just so embarrassed, even though I was laughing with everyone and being like, ah, yeah, you're right. But it was such a journey. And then the day that I remember that I shaved it off because I had been practicing saying positive things about myself. I remember getting that car and we went over a bump and I had this sort of reaction of, oh my gosh, I put it on the roof. And I looked up and I was like, oh, nothing's on the roof. (laughs) Nothing's on the roof. And it it was one of those moments that was, yeah, it was like a really cathartic moment for me, which sounds silly to other people, but just to know that I didn't have to worry about that anymore just took a stress off. Was was it actually a dramatic, like cinematic moment where you like finally shaved off and like washed off what you had been sort of hiding on your head? It was dramatic when I washed it off. But once I shaved it, because I had been doing the work to practice, it felt good. And then also, it's what gave me the tools to know what type of products I wanted to establish. Because once I shaved my head, I didn't know what type of razor to get. I didn't know what, how to protect my head now. Because I had hair before, some hair, so I was protecting myself from the sun. I didn't know how to moisturize my forehead so that it matched my skin tone of my face and my neck. These are the things that I did not know because yeah. all of this is normally covered. 
with hair so i didn't have to really pay attention and so it was dramatic but it was also a great teaching lesson of like oh what's a launch i was just thinking and I, you launched with a cleanser an spf a moisturizer and a no shine sheet correct yes that is it yeah. and so that was sort of like your regimen for balding and being bald in creating the brand and doing market research which i'm assuming you did a lot of did you find or maybe you had already felt that black men had or had not been ignored by like the bigger beauty industry because I know you know obviously we've seen a lot of expansion of shade ranges to be more inclusive to all different skin tones and types in women's makeup and beauty in men's you know as I, I haven't been in the hair aisles in a long time but what was your experience with yeah, finding products exactly, that worked for you anyway exactly, when growing up exactly and now that. The same. Yeah, it's exactly that. Yeah, there was always never any products that were really marketed to black men. I don't remember there ever being any ads on television that were marketing to black men to take care of their skin. There was definitely no ads about black men taking care of their bald head. And I think that's in general, we, you know, like Queer Eye, we've talked about this. I think we've never really told men that it's okay to take care of themselves. Yeah, it's funny. I think men in general, like I never... I mean, there was Just For Men, that like hair That dye, was it. Right? Yeah, that, that was the was only it. thing that I ever saw, like Just For Men. But I never remember like Neutrogena commercials ever having a man with a bar of soap. You know what I mean? And those were no. big when I was growing up. I, I just turned 40. Yeah. And those were like what I saw, that orange bar. You know what I mean? I remember the first time I went to the store, I got that orange bar because it was like the only thing that I saw constantly on. And I remember it, this is nothing against the product or anything. It dried out my skin. It dried out my skin too. It, it yeah. can be against the product. Yeah. It's, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. I, I got that too. I'm 38. So similar, similar yeah. period. Yeah. It and that, and it's, you just tried, but there wasn't, I mean, I guess crew for men came out when we were probably early teenagers. It, it did. And then Axe was the next thing, yep. which was a body spray, which was the only other thing that people told me. Which to do. did more like, harm than good. Harm than good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Just from like a, a smell perspective. Yeah. If I went back to all the acts that I was spraying on myself before I got on the school bus, <laughs> like I would just love to go back to myself. And that would be the one thing I'd go back in history and be like, don't. Yeah. You can stop. Put it down. I mean, when we were creating Necessaire, like one of the things that was always in my head was the fact that like when Axe came out and all the fragrances were called like cool water and Kama Sutra and like, you know, it was like this weird, like sexual toxic, yeah. it's like toxic masculinity branding. And that yeah. like, why do I don't think men now, maybe they did at that time. Maybe they don't, they didn't even then, but like men now don't want that. Don't need like a Kama Sutra body wash, right? Yeah. Because we've gotten savvy and we realize that the women and men in our lives are the humans that we date. Don't find it sexy if you're, you know, with cool water or common, yeah. you know, like it's not sexy. And I think that's the evolution is that we're starting to learn like it's sexier to take care of ourselves. It's sexier to like love your skin, love your face, love yourself. And I think it was damaging. And I think the original Queer Eye helped in this, but I think it was damaging when it was, you know, they were, we were calling men metrosexuals. Yeah. It took out this context of like, you're a guy that loves to wash your face. You're a metrosexual. And it was like, you're damaging people by making them think the implication being that you're like a little bit effeminate or there's something exactly. a little bit homosexual or female about that behavior exactly so you launch the brand which and you have to do a kind of overall brand pivot very quickly and you launch the brand in 
cooperation with Honest Company or like, am I incorrect? No, no, no. So one of my co-founders, he worked for um, both two of my, the, both of my co-founders, they worked for Honest. And so when they left Oh, Honest, you guys created this brand completely independently. Yeah, completely independent. Raised the money ourselves, the products, everything. So yeah, nothing. They Holy just shit. from Honest. Yeah. How did you find those meetings? Oh my gosh. So my co-founder Pete is really great. And so we were just pulling together all the people that we have ever interacted with. You know, luckily for me, there's a privilege of being in this industry and being able to interact with certain people. And so I acknowledge that because there's a lot of small business owners who don't have that privilege. And I always am like, yeah. I always try to say to people that I come across, hey, there's people who are in the middle of like South Carolina right now, try to give your money there as well, reach out, you know what I mean? And so it, that was our way of finding those investors and doing that. I mean, the one thing I've found in the couple of times that I've gone to investors with concepts is Oftentimes, the concept that I'm pitching is not something that the person who is receiving the pitch uses, whether it was millennial makeup and skincare, where like they'd be like, oh, well, my wife uses that, you know, whatever it was, or if it's like cool, genderless, like body care. Again, it was sometimes tough for the investor to see the clear white space or like the need for it if they didn't themselves understand that need. And what I could only imagine that at least some of the investors you went to did not understand the plight of the bald or balding man. To be honest with you, we didn't have that issue. Really? And the, the reason being is because majority of the time when we start our investor calls, I started them off. And I go from like my balding journey and the fear and self-esteem that most people go through, like this universal feeling that we all have. And whether someone had a full head of hair as a man, woman, you know, they could be gender nonconforming, whatever person I was speaking to understood that fear. Because even if it hasn't happened to them yet, they've been programmed to know like it could be coming. And so yep. they all understood immediately of, oh my gosh, I get this. We were actually hitting a lot of people in markets that we didn't know we were going to hit. So that actually leads nicely to makeup. So you're on TV a lot. Every single yeah. person on TV wears some amount of makeup. When I briefly was doing like on camera stuff, like you have the things that you like to use because oftentimes it's like a women's makeup artist who doesn't have any idea how to do like yeah. men's makeup without making you look like you're wearing a full face. How have you grown and approached makeup in both your on-screen life and also off-screen? Do you wear it? Do you know what you like? Have you hacked together a routine that works? I had to because on camera, there's not a lot of African-American makeup artists in the business. Or well, actually there is, but unfortunately, they're not getting the same opportunities as some of the other races. And so I've been on sets, and this is no shade to anybody, where I've had white makeup artists turn me gray or green. And it happened even just, I was on a project maybe a month and a half ago, and my best friend is sitting right here nodding his head because he knows literally this makeup artist was fighting me. And she was like, no, no, this is it. And I was like, this is not my color. This is not gonna work on camera. She was like, this is it. I've been doing this for 25 years. And I was like, I'm sorry if I said something that was offensive and made your ego feel as if I was trying to challenge you. I'm just trying to come to an understanding of what I need and what you need. It's a really tough situation because it does put you in this, like you have to be your own advocate. And with you, it's you know, magnified because like, again, the stories from throughout like on camera history with black or women of color models yeah. having to go and do their own makeup for shoots because there just was no foundations or anything that that worked for yeah. their tone. And that's still to the day. I still do my own makeup, to be very you honest do? with you. 
yeah, I still do my own makeup. It's very rare where I have a makeup artist do my own makeup. And luckily for me, because of me being bald, I have one foundation that is able to cover my face and head. Well, you also have like flawless skin, which helps too. Thank you. Like you, don't ha- you, you don't have like a lot of like issues. It doesn't look like through the Zoom. No, no, I don't. It's, and a lot of this is contributed to Mantle. Like when we did this, like I started using my own products and like literally the moisturizer and the cleanser I use every day was taking away my dark spots. It was in all really? those things. Yeah, honestly. And there's a thing. We had a product that we didn't launch because I used it for six months and I was like, I don't like this. It's not working for me. And I just was like, I can't do it. You know what I mean? And to be very honest with you, I learned this from JVN. JVN is so particular about the products because he's so knowledgeable and so smart that I was like, If I'm launching this and I'm not the person in the beauty space, I'm in the mental health space. If I'm going to do this, I don't want someone like my friend JVN to say, well, you don't even like this. It's not even working. So I made sure that I did stuff that really would help my own skin and I knew would help others. That's how our SPF became invisible because I was like, it has to be matted. It has to be clear because I can't be shiny. It can't go on my beard. It was all these things. And I do accredit some of that to him because I just saw his dedication or their dedication, I apologize, to beauty. But yeah, it's helped my skin a lot. So therefore, now my skin is clear. So where I can just use one foundation to cover my face head to toe. So I use Cover FX N110. That's what I use. I spend a lot of money on Cover FX. Um, <laughs> so Cover FX wants to send me some products. Are you doing a full foundation? application yeah, I do or are you just like spot no i do it all over my head and my face like i don't have it on right now but when i do no one's gonna see this but if they did yeah. or if they can you can kind of see like it's a little dark under here i have kind of like redness yeah and on top of my eyes i have like redness and stuff when i use the foundation it just covers all of it and looks even clearer i feel like i'm an instagram filter i've gotten my makeup done and when the makeup artist uses foundation all over it basically takes away any of the planes of my face. For me, because like I got a family member, a male family member into makeup and his wife was like, I can't believe this, but he feels so much confident. And so the thing was is that we took it for a while. I did the same thing I did with me where I do a full face of foundation and for him it didn't work. And that's because this texture of his skin didn't allow for it to look. My skin is pretty smooth naturally, yeah. so is my forehead. So me doing a full foundation, it didn't look so far off. But for him, because he had a different texture of skin, we had to figure out how to apply. So for me, I use one full brush all over my head and face. For him, we use a smaller brush just to tap into, and then we use a blender to blend it out. Yeah, that's more my vibe, yeah. Yeah, and that works, you know what I mean? And so I think it's about understanding that a full face foundation can work, but it's about how you apply it as men. Yeah. And so some can hold a full face, some can't. I like to look natural. So like when I do my full face, I can walk from set and walk out in the sun and nobody knows that I have it on because it's kind of just it matches. I have a couple questions. Number yeah. one is how far down do you do the foundation onto your neck and chest? Does it depend on what shirt you're wearing or do you always just bring it down to below like your collar? So I don't use it on my neck. And this is the reason why is because for me and for most men who have beards, you have a natural break in your face. So therefore, you don't have to go all the way through to your neck because once that break happens, you don't need to get underneath there unless you have a lot of redness or bumps and you want to kind of spot check, then go for it. But I don't really have that. And the reason I don't have that is because I also make sure that I use sunscreen, you know, my mantle sunscreen on my neck and on my face. So therefore, when I'm in the sun, I'm evening out my neck and my face. They're not two different colors to begin with, which like they, they sometimes can be. Yeah. 
Exactly. So I always tell people, like, if you're putting it on your face, just sunscreen, but you're not putting it on your neck, you're obviously, when you're going to wear makeup, is going to have two different complexions, and then you're going to have to do that. But if you have a natural break with a beard, I don't recommend putting any makeup on your neck. What I would do is a translucent powder on my neck, where now it won't get on my clothes, it won't get on my collar. But what it does, the translucent powder just gives it that sort of That light. was my next question. So how do you avoid, anytime I've worn a lot of bronzer or something like that, you can see it. Yeah. And I don't like people being able to see it on my collar that is so what translucent powder helps lock it in so it doesn't transfer yeah i use nyx translucent powder but you can use any one and so it's just a clear white powder and so what it does there is if it gets on your shirt or something it's not going to do anything but it also then gives you just a little bit of a layer that you can tell like you can't tell but it just gives you what you're doing without the bronzer like getting on your shirt and so that's what I would recommend for people. Yeah. Have you learned any other hacks like skincare or makeup hacks in your time on camera? Yeah. One of the things that I do every night before I got to go on camera is in the nighttime, I spend like three minutes putting ice underneath my eyes. Like I just take an ice cube and rub it underneath my eyes and I do it the next morning. It takes down the inflammation like immediately. Also, like I use just plain Vaseline on my lips and it really does help moisturize it and gives it back sort of that color so that you don't mm -hmm. have darkness and, you know, the pigmentation, especially if people smoke or I don't smoke, I don't even smoke weed, but those are things that if you do can help with it. And then in terms of like your everyday look, are you using concealers or powders or anything during the day, like when you're not shooting? I normally I don't, but if I have a little something on my face, I don't mind. Or if I want to outline my beard. So right now, like my beard is I outlined perfect. I mean, it's not outlined with anything. It's just me shaving it with a tea razor. But if I mess up on my beard, I will do a little bit of the makeup to create a brand new line. And men don't realize they can do that. You don't have to have a full face. You just do a little bit of like take a square sponge or like the triangle sponges. And then if you take the foundation right along your beard line, what happens is now the edges that go kind of like crazy, it sort of smooths it out. So now you have more of a concrete beard line, which looks really sexy. I feel like you've said two things though, which are very important is one is like use a brush to apply your foundation, which a lot of like men, I would imagine just do it with their fingers because it's easier yeah. and a brush seems like more work. And then you have sponges too. So I feel like when people try makeup and don't like the result, it's because they're not actually applying it right. Agreed. Like doing Agreed. using like a stipple brush will have a completely different effect, a final effect than if you were just like trying to put it like a concealer on with your fingers. And I think any guys out there or any person in general that wants to try to see if makeup can make them feel better about like how they present their skin to the world, I would say go to the dollar store, get you a whole bunch of brushes, and then really watch these beauty experts on TikTok and on these things. Like that's how I learned a lot of it. Like I wasn't watching the full video through because I'm not putting on like foundation and all these lipsticks and all that. I don't do any of that. Those first initial steps like the first minute and a half of a video, they show you how you can apply the foundation, how you can apply concealer in a way that if you ever notice before they put on the rest of the, the makeup, that their face looks clear. So look at that and then test how much, go a little bit heavy the first time, go a little bit lighter and see where you fit in that. About a year ago, Prince yeah. William was named the sex, the world's sexiest bald man. Which I don't know who wrote that. Like it was researchers had basically determined that he had been called sexy 17.6 million times across the Internet. This was a study done by a 
company called Longevita, whatever the fuck that is. And people were outraged, firstly, that Stanley Tucci was not given that honor. But this kind of led to a bigger conversation about like, if not Prince William, which clearly it's not, who are the sexiest bald men? Who are your sexiest bald men? Give me five. So Prince William, I think, got it because of power and because of also- Power is sexy. Power is sexy and people conflate like power with what it is. And so I think that's why he got that. Well, we talked to a comedian named Julia Sharp who wrote a book about going bald. Yeah. And I haven't listened to the interview in a while, but I remember he basically told me that money is what makes bald men sexy. Exactly. You know what I mean? He was joking, but okay. So give me your, maybe it doesn't have to be top five in no particular order, but just the five. Stanley Tucci, who I'm so desperately trying to get in touch with because I wanted to send him all my products. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, I think just exudes the confidence who else? My mind is always blanking right now. I'm going to put myself in there because I love myself and not in an arrogant way or narcissistic Good. way, but I love me. I'm also going to say, why is his name slipping right now? The gentleman who I just talked about earlier from Seinfeld. Um, Jason Alexander. J- Jason Alexander, I think, has been proudly holding us bald men down and overlooked for his confidence to be funny, but also to be sexy and to be strong. And who else? I feel like you're missing a lot of people. There is a lot, but my mind, it's like one of those things when you put it on the, I know, the I know, spot, I know. it's like, I can't remember. I'm going to roll out some names and you can yay or nay them. Jeff yes. Bezos, pre-filler and going into space. Yes. Okay. Shamar Moore. Yes. Love Shamar Moore. Oh my gosh. And this is the big, I mean, this to me was a big one that you missed. Tay Diggs. Oh my gosh. Tay Diggs, fine ass. Are you kidding me? Just been fine. Bruce Willis. Fine forever. Oh, my gosh. And hold on. Then we had Michael Jordan. Yes. The original. The original MJ. Patrick Stewart. Spock. Or no, he's not Spock. He was. I don't don't even watch Star Trek, but Patrick Stewart. There's so many. I feel like the time is now for bald men. Would you agree? I agree. I think the time has always been for bald men or people to still love themselves on wherever they're at. And so whether you have are fully bald, like the men you just described, or you just have a bald spot in the middle or you're receding in the front, it's time to take care of your head. It's time to take care of your skin. And Mantle's here to do that for them. You have so many projects, but if a user was going to do one thing to help the Karamo Brown universe and empire one thing you'd want them to do check out your instagram check out mantle.co would you want them Mm -hmm. to watch dear white people like give us the one thing i'd want them to go to at karamo which is the same on all social media because at karamo will link them to everything that i'm doing so that way they can get to one spot and go find that's like asking the genie for more wishes yeah just go to at karamo and then there you go You can find everything I'm doing, but definitely look at mantle.co. Now it's time for our favorite segment of this podcast, which is product of the week. On our Patreon, I did a little little quick hit of some of my favorite new arrivals from UGG.com, which you can expect frequently whenever I... My ADD rears its its ugly head at work, and I just have to go on UGG.com. But that is not my product of the week this week. My product of the week, and this is something that you have to walk and not run to do. Do you know what Magnum is, like the photo agency? No. 
Magnum is a uh, organization that many photographers. I know the condoms. I know the ice cream. <laughs> and now you know the photo organization. It's an organization that many photographer, professional photographers, belong to. Everyone, you know, from Elliot Erwitt to Alex Soth and William Wegman, who photographs dogs. Famously, Weimaraners, one of my favorite photographers. Several times a year, they do this sale. And it's essentially a square print sale featuring one work from many, if not all, of their photographers. And they're all $100, including tax. They're either signed or they're stamped by the photographer's estate. They're six inches by six inches, museum quality prints. And the sale is going on now. It ends Sunday, October 24th. And so everything is a limited edition to the timing of the sale. $100, you can get a Nan Golden print. You can get a Joel Meyerowitz print. You can get a W. Eugene Smith print. David Benjamin Sherry. Like all these incredible photographers have all selected or their estates have selected images from their bodies of work to put in this sale. And William Wegman, it's just like an amazing collection. If you want to start collecting photography, these are really wonderful pictures and they're one and done in that, you know, they won't be available like this after after Sunday. Magnumphotos.com slash shop. Great gifts. Great gifts. I mean, like, they're, don't are you wait. looking at the website? Yeah. They're don't, amazing. Don't sleep on this. I mean, if I know. you need a $100 price point gift, these are cool. Yeah. If you're, I'm a photo junkie, but there's a Tina Barney. They have a lot of really incredible photographers who participated and, and will always participate. So it's like one of my favorite emails to get whenever they do their square print sale. There you go. I don't know if I can top that. I really, I don't have any, I have nothing. Okay. Well, I'm not going to contribute to, you know, the supply chain issues. <laughs> With that, we want to just tell you that our Patreon, <laughs> I'm going to tell you we're at 98 active patrons. What? Which is amazing. Do we have any new milky, jelly, bouncy superstars? Let me tell you. Great mm. question. No, but we have a lot more friends of the pod. Uh, did we talk about Caitlin? We, I think we did Caitlin. talk about Caitlin. She's a milky, Dear jelly Caitlin. friend. Did we mention Ariel? Yeah, no, I don't think we mentioned Ariel. So Ariel and Caitlin have joined the milky, bouncy, super jelly star elite tier. Um, but our next goal is 200 patrons. We're right now just able to cover about one episode of the four that we make every month. And if we can double the number of patrons, we're getting to two episodes. And then we can just keep on doing this and not feel like it's a complete vanity project because we'll actually not be paying for it out of our little pockets. Patreon.com slash eyewitnessbeauty to sign up for one of our levels. Of course, you can do the elite level, which is the Milky Jelly Bouncy Star level at $50, or you can you, you can actually choose your own amount that you feel comfortable giving. That said, Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jessamine Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our theme music is by Danny Prezant, and our cover art is by Simon Abronowitz. You can follow us on Instagram at Eyewitness Beauty. You can email us at hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. And you can, you know what? You can actually go on Apple Podcasts and you can rate us and you can review us and you can subscribe to the podcast. But we oh. would really 
if you had to choose, I think what would you say Patreon? I'd say money. Say give, I'd give, say money 50, talks. Fifty dollars to yeah, yeah. To Patreon. Yep. Um, but we appreciate every little thing that you guys do. Can you hear my daughter screaming from her crib? Aww. <laughs> the Kraken is awake, <laughs> as we like to say in our house. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye.